The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Luke chapter number 10 is where we will be in just a moment. Gospel of Luke chapter number 10. We're currently going through a series simply entitled Gods at War. And we've taken the opportunity just to look at different what we would call little G-O-D gods, little authorities that seek to usurp the authority of God, God's word, and God's will in our lives. And so we'll be here in Luke chapter number 10 in just a moment. And uh, our theme verse for this entire series has been Ezekiel 14 and verse number 3. And, And the Bible says in Ezekiel 14 verse 3, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And we've been studying this subject of idolatry. And I know idolatry sounds like something that took place thousands of years ago when pagans used to bow down to rocks or to trees. And sometimes we might get the thinking of why are we talking about idolatry in the 21st century? Because here's what began to happen. For a while, idolatry was something people did as they bowed down to a rock. It was something they did when they bowed down to a statue. But then something very interesting began to take place toward the end of the Old Testament as you moved into the New Testament. And idolatry stopped being about something we bowed down to outside. And it began to be about something that happened in the heart. Where people allowed things, good things, God's blessings, to begin to be elevated to a position of authority in their lives. So something God blessed them with, something God gave to them, all of a sudden now is setting the agenda. Now it's something that's setting the authority. Here's the definition we've been giving. We turn something into an idol. And any good thing can become a little g God thing, an authoritative thing. We turn something into an idol or a little g God. When we seek after anything smaller than Jesus to give us what only Christ can give us. So if we look to our jobs to give us a sense of significance, that's becoming idolatry. If we look to a hobby or sports to give us a sense of satisfaction above what we look for in the person of Jesus Christ, that might be becoming an idol in our hearts. If we look to our 401k to give us our sense of security, that good thing, the 401k, might be becoming a God thing. And in that, it becomes idolatry. And so we've been really wrestling with this idea of idolatry and making sure that the good things in our lives don't elevate themselves to becoming God things in our lives. Because as all of us know, there's only one and true living God. He is a jealous God. And he will not share his authority with one of his creations. The creator deserves supremacy. And so we've been wrestling with this idea of how do we demote things that are trying to elevate themselves in our hearts of becoming little G gods. Inside your service program, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along through the message here today. I hope it'll be a blessing to you as we study the Bible together this morning. If you are physically able, uh, we'd like to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word here this morning, as is our tradition. 
tradition. We're going to begin reading in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10. I'm going to read from verse number 38 all the way to verse number 42. A very familiar portion of Scripture, a story that many of you who maybe have grown up in church have heard before, but we'll look at it once again. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 38, the Word of God says, Now it came to pass as they went, this is Jesus and his disciples, that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And Martha had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered. She was distracted with much serving. And it came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Verse 41. And Jesus answered and said unto Martha, 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 thou art careful and troubled about many things. But this one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Here we see in our passage that Mary, or I should say Martha, allowed what she was accomplishing to become a higher priority than being with Jesus. And so this morning I want to speak on the subject of what happens... When we prioritize our accomplishments, when we prioritize our achievements, and when we prioritize what we've got to get done above spending time with Jesus. Too often, if we're not careful, we look to the little G God of achievement, the little G God of success, the little G God of power to give us those feelings of significance, to give us feelings of satisfaction, to give us a sense of our identity and our worth and our value. And rather than looking to Jesus Christ to give us our sense of value, our sense of worth, we look to our jobs, we look to our careers to give us those things. And so there's a lot of men who don't just go to work to get a paycheck to provide food for their families. They go to work looking for their sense of identity, finding their sense of worth, looking for their value in what they do. But I want to declare to you today, your identity is not based on what you do or what you accomplish. Your identity is anchored to who Jesus Christ says that you are as a child of His. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Him. Now, Understand, I am not saying that you shouldn't work. In fact, the Bible declares if we don't work, we really shouldn't eat. The Bible puts a high value on a good work ethic, on working hard. I believe there's a place for that in the scriptures. However, when we allow our jobs and our careers, some achievement that we're going after, some success that we're trying to get, when we look to those things to give us our sense of value, to make us feel like we're, we matter and that we're worth something... That good thing, that job, that career, that achievement has just elevated itself in our hearts and it's becoming a little g God. And so while we must work and while we must labor, we must be very careful that we don't allow that to elevate itself to a position of authority over God's word, over God's will, and God's desire 
in our life. Too often we find ourselves stressed out, frazzled, burning the candle at both ends. In fact, if you read the studies, you will find that stress is one of the leading causes of so many of the diseases that exist in our world. And one of the reasons that our, our society is so stressed out and we're so frazzled and we're burning the candle at both ends is because we are looking to our careers. We are looking to our jobs to provide us not just with a paycheck... Not just with the ability to put some food on the table for our families. Not just to provide for our needs. We are literally looking to our jobs and our careers to give us our sense of value. To give us a sense of feeling that we matter in this world. And because we are looking to our jobs to do that. And we're looking to our careers to do that. And we're looking to the next rung on the ladder to accomplish that. We're looking to the next achievement or the next success to bring it. It is stressing us out. Because your job, your career was not given to you as a gift by God to provide you with your sense of identity, with your sense of value. That's why God gave you Jesus. Jesus is meant to be that which gives you your sense of value. Jesus was giving you to give you your sense of security. But if we are not careful as human beings, because we spend so much time at work, and it takes up so much of our attention and so much of our focus, we all must be very careful that what we do doesn't define what we become. That we find who we are in our position in Christ. Here's the theme. I think we're going to throw it up on the screens here today. This is going to kind of frame everything else that we talk about today. You'll see it on the screen. The only thing that has the ability to bring ultimate satisfaction and ultimate fulfillment is regularly abiding in the presence of a satisfying and fulfilling Savior. So this morning... I want to look at two ways in which we as a society can go about seeking after fulfillment and satisfaction. Let's begin reading in verse number 39. The Bible says in the gospel here of Luke 10 verse 39, And Martha here had a sister called Mary, which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. Here we find Martha. She's not doing a bad thing. Martha is not sinning. Martha is not involved in some wicked activity. She's not doing something horribly bad. The Bible just simply says she is cumbered about with much serving. So rather than enjoying the presence of Jesus, rather than enjoying her time with God, rather than basking in the presence of a risen Savior, she finds herself prioritizing less important things. Rather than prioritizing time with Jesus, she's prioritizing getting the dishes out. She's prioritizing making sure the food's just perfect. She's prioritizing making sure everything around the house is just so. You say, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that unless you're supposed to be spending time with Jesus. There are a lot of Christians who have gotten so busy in their homes... There are Christians who get so busy with their work. They get so distracted with this thing and that thing. That days go by. And weeks go by. And sad to say, months go by. Where they really don't spend any deep, enriching time basking in the presence of Jesus. This leads us to our first thought this morning and that is this. 
it is possible to at least seek to pursue fulfillment by prioritizing accomplishments. Many people, and and I'm going to be very transparent here today with you, and I hope you won't use this against me. Of all the sermons that we've preached over the last month, this is the one that your pastor is probably most susceptible to. This is the lie that the enemy tries to convince me of more often than any of the other idols that we've preached on. This particular topic hits most close to home with me because the enemy will try to convince me that, hey, you'll, you'll feel significant. You'll feel like you matter. You'll feel like you did what you're supposed to do if you could just accomplish one more thing, if you could just do one more thing, if you could just achieve one more thing. And there's this, this, this feeling of if I can just one more, if I can just do one more thing, if I can just accomplish one more thing, if I can just achieve one more thing, if I can just get to this level of success, then, then I'll feel like I matter. And regularly, I have to cast that down. Regularly, I have to affirm that that is not gospel reality. That my worth is not found in what I do. That my worth is found in who Jesus Christ declares me to be. See, the interesting dynamic with this is you can do one thing, whatever it is, an accomplishment. You can do your job. And you can do it with the right reasons. You can do it because you're wanting to obey God. You can do it because you're following the Spirit of God. But it is possible for one day you wake up and you're doing your job with the right motives. And you're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it to glorify God. You're doing it because you want to follow the Spirit of God. Because His grace is driving you to do it. And the next morning you can wake up, do the exact same thing. But do it in a way because you think I'm going to get some amount of satisfaction out of it. Do the exact same thing because you're feeling like if I do this, I'll get, I'll feel like I matter more. I'll feel like I'm more important. Same thing. But the motive for why you do it makes it right or wrong. And what I'm saying here today is I'm not saying go to work tomorrow and work less. I'm not saying go to work tomorrow and just kind of be lazy. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying when we go to work... Make sure we're doing it for the right reason. Only Jesus can give you ultimate satisfaction. Only Jesus can give you ultimate fulfillment. Only Jesus gives you an ultimate feeling of self-worth. So go to work because God says to. Go to work because you want to obey his word. Go to work because his grace is leading you to do that. But don't go looking for that work, that career to provide you with something That God says Jesus was given to provide you with. Oh, that we would not seek after accomplishment. Martha prioritized accomplishment and achievement in that moment. In that moment, rather than just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Here was a time where she was just supposed to bask in his presence. And make time for Jesus. And and spend time in his presence. And, And rather than doing what she was supposed to be doing in that moment. Rather than doing the better thing as we see in this text. She was busy doing that and busy doing this. Good things, wonderful things, just not the biggest priority. 
It would be like the mother and you've got kids in your home and you're so busy taking care of laundry and making sure everything in the house is just perfect and making sure you've got the perfect balanced meal for your children and all those things are good. But can I say this? If that happens day after day after day and you've never had time just to bask in the presence of Jesus, your priorities are probably out of whack. I have a lot more respect for a lady who might not get the most perfect, well-balanced breakfast on the table, but at least had time to be with Jesus. And I don't think duty's conflict. I believe God gives an extra measure of grace to those who bask in his presence. But you do have to put first things first. You've got to ask yourself, what's most important? Well, I got laundry to do, and I've got clothes to iron, I got food. To, I understand that. This is what Martha was, this is what the tension in her life was. But she put first things first. And the biggest priority is always your time with Jesus to worship Him, to bask in His presence. You get that thing in first, and everything else will come together, everything else will fall into place. Some people look to achievement to give them this sense of uh, worth and the sense that they matter. Madonna, who many of us might be familiar with, pop singer, literally for now two, three decades, she made an interesting statement regarding some of the demons that she wrestles with, even as a superstar, even as one who many would look to in society as having it all together. Notice what she said in an interview to a reporter. She says, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I want you to get this for just a moment. Here's Madonna. You think if anybody has the fame, the money, anything that so many people look for and yet she battles with a horrible feeling of constant inadequacy. These are her own words. She says, I push past one spell of that feeling of inadequacy and discover myself as a special human being. She says, I'll I'll, I'll throw a concert, I'll do an achievement, I'll accomplish something. And and then she says, I get to another stage. She says, I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again. Again and again this happens. My drive in life from this horrible feeling of being mediocre and that's always pushing me, pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. And I'm here to say to Madonna today, it won't end. And here's why. Because she is looking to her performance. She's looking to celebrity. She's looking to some achievement to give her those feelings that she's okay. That she matters. She's not inadequate. But she's looking for it in all the wrong places. And because of that, she will continue to struggle with this. Can I say whether it's being a pop star and that's where you're looking to go to to give you a sense that you matter and you're important and you're somebody, or whether it is you go to your job tomorrow morning and you look to that career to give you those feelings. Regardless of what you look to, if you look to anything smaller than Jesus, it will let you down every time. What a horrible way to live. 
To think that every time she puts on a concert, every time she puts out a new album, she gets a, she gets a feeling that she matters. And then she says literally within a day, that feeling's gone. And she lives her life feeling inadequate and mediocre, as if she, her life doesn't matter. And literally for her, her performances are her drugs that give her that high, that make her feel like for that moment she matters. She says, as quickly as it comes, it's gone. Can I say to you today, for many people, success is like a drug that gives us a sense of meaning and worth for a split second, but the high quickly wears off. And we need a repeat dose as quickly as we got it. Psalms chapter number 106 speaks of this phenomenon in Psalms 106 and verses number 14. It says, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. Here, here were the children of Israel. They wanted something. They were looking to something to give them a sense of satisfaction, to give them a sense of significance, and tempted God in the desert. And God, he gave them their request. So God says, hey, you think this is what you want? This is, you think this is what will make you satisfied? This is what you think will make you feel significant? This is what you think will give you that sense of value and worth? He says he he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. You see, sometimes God will give you the very thing you think you need to be satisfied. He'll give you the very thing you think you need to be significant. He'll give you the very thing you, thing you think you need in order to feel like you matter. To, only to reveal to you that it can't accomplish what you think it will accomplish. Can I say this? It's like the proverbial carrot dangling itself in front of that horse. You're constantly chasing it, but you will never reach it. It's an illusion. It's a, it's a facade. You reach for that success. You reach for that achievement. You reach for that next thing. Thinking that it'll bring you ultimate satisfaction. Thinking that it'll bring you ultimate significance. Thinking that finally you'll feel like you're matter and, and your life's not mediocre and it's not average. That you matter. Can I just say this? Stop pursuing all those things looking for a sense of significance. Only Jesus satisfies. Only basking in the presence of Jesus will give you that sense of significance that your soul so desperately longs for. Only Jesus brings fulfillment. You can look for it in trying to be a celebrity. You can look for it in trying to climb the corporate ladder. You can look for it in success. You can look for it in power. But each and every one of those things will let you down because they're empty promises that cannot fulfill. Phil. And this is why celebrity after celebrity committing suicide. You think of any, I mean, man, if these people have money, they have fame, they've got everything that we're pursuing after. Why are they so unhappy? I'm going to tell you why. Because they are looking for significance and satisfaction and fulfillment in things that cannot deliver. Only Jesus satisfies. Only regularly abiding in the presence of Christ can give you what your soul so longs for. So here's the kind of question we're throwing out here. Will you live your life for good things? Like a job or a career. These are good things. Everybody should probably have one if you're physically able. 
Or will you live your life for great things? Often the most dangerous enemy of great, the thing that keeps you from being involved in those greatest things is simply settling for good. Don't let good things keep you from the greatest things. You see, we talk about Jesus being the only one who can satisfy. Jesus being the only one that can ultimately fulfill. Jesus being the one who gives us our sense of purpose, our sense of identity, our sense of worth. That comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. If you want it to last, if you want it to be secure, it's in Jesus. But you see, your depth, the depth of your time with Christ gives everything else in your life deeper richness and deeper beauty. When I bask in the presence of Christ, when I allow Him to affirm my value and affirm my worth, and I don't look to these things that are smaller than Jesus, but I I look to Him and Him alone, and I bask in His presence, and I spend time just experiencing and enjoying Him on a regular, constant basis, the depth of my relationship with Him literally It it adds a depth of beauty and richness to every other aspect of my life. When my relationship with Jesus is, 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 is an abiding relationship, and I'm spending time with Him, and I'm enjoying Him, and I'm experiencing Him on a on a regular basis, guess what? It makes my relationship with my children that much more beautiful and that much more rich and that much more wonderful. And it makes my relationship with a spouse. That much more beautiful and that much, much more wonderful. You see, when our vertical relationship is rich, it overflows and allows all of our horizontal relationships to experience those same beauties and those same richnesses. But when we start to look vertically for what God says only can be given to you, I'm sorry, horizontally, for what only God can give you vertically, every time. Every time we miss out. Don't get your eyes here looking for what only can be given here. You look for here. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is how God created the universe to work. If you're an achievement addict, like so many people can become, and as even I am tempted to be. There's some ways in which often people who are achievement addicts, they use their careers as a way to give them their highs. So how do you know if you're making an idol out of your career? Let me just give you three simple things. Just, just kind of three indications that might reveal if your career is becoming a little G-O-D God, an idol. If you work until you ruin your health... If your career is keeping you from being able to maintain a healthy, balanced lifestyle, it may be a sign that your career is becoming a counterfeit God. Man, I know people and they feel like to buy these things and pay off those things and all these things, they're working 70 and 80 and 90 hours a week, not because the Spirit of God is leading them to do that, because they just... I just, they're looking for that feeling of that they matter in their work. Number two, this isn't to say you are struggling with idolatry, but these might be signs. Number two, 
If you find you spend so much time at work that you don't have proper time with your family. So much time at work you do not have proper time margin for God. You don't have time to spend with God. You're too busy at work. And obviously God understands, right? You're working. And you don't have time. You don't have margin in your schedule for church, for family, for God, for church. That might be a sign that you're struggling with the idolatry of achievement. The idolatry of career. Rather than allowing God's word and his will to set the agenda for your life. Your work does it. It might be a sign that you're looking to your career to give you something that Jesus wants to give you. Number three, if you break the laws in order to get ahead at your work, your career is probably becoming an idol. I think about what, so much of what happened, you know, with the financial meltdown. I think of even before that with Enron <laughs> and all the corruption that was going on. You know what? There was a lot of folks there that were probably struggling with the idolatry of achievement. The, the reason they were willing to cross lines and break rules and break laws <laughs> is because they felt like if I could just achieve that next thing, I'll matter. I'll be satisfied. These are some areas to, to kind of look at and to ask yourself, am I struggling with this? I'm going to put this on the screen. I hope it makes sense. If we are not willing to do things in our pursuit of God's will that may have the potential to hurt our career, then our job will become a counterfeit God. That is, as you are pursuing God, as you are pursuing living for Him and allowing His grace to work through you, and you are not willing, I'm not saying you'll have to, but if you're not willing allow your job to suffer so you can obey God, it might be a sign that your career is becoming a counterfeit God. Now, thankfully, most of us don't have to choose between our job and God's will. Praise God. But if we ever had to, which would you choose? That's the question. If your boss came to you and said, in order for you to keep this job, you've got to break this law then we have to obey God rather than man. And if you're not willing to stand up for your values in that moment, it might be a sign that your career has become an idol. It's become a little G-O-D God, a counterfeit God. You are looking to that job to provide you with a sense of security. Well, if I lose my job, if they fire me, then how will I provide for my family? Number one, it's God's responsibility to provide your, for your family. It's your responsibility to follow him. God's spirit would never lead you to break his laws just so you could get ahead. If we're not willing, I'm not saying we all have to. Praise the Lord. Many of us are in careers where we don't have to make these choices, but we should be willing to. Willing to choose to serve God rather than man. Notice verse number 40 of our text here. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 10, verse 40. But Martha was, notice this word cumbered. Here's, if you, you say, what does that mean? Here, the, the word cumbered, literally, it just means distracted. Notice what it says. But Martha was cumbered, verse 40, 
She was distracted with much serving. Can, can, I, can I say this? It was never Martha's intention to ignore Jesus and her time with Jesus. She had every intention to. She wanted to spend time with Jesus. She wanted to bask in his presence. She wanted to enjoy her time with him. She just got distracted. She got distracted with this thing and she got distracted with that thing. And before she knew it, she was cumbered. There were so many distractions, she no longer had time with Jesus. She had allowed, I don't even know if she meant to do it, but she allowed all these things she had to do to become the priority. And now when she was supposed to be spending time with Jesus, as we're going to see Jesus say in a moment, she didn't have time for it. She was too distracted. She had been cumbered about with too many good things. And she no longer had margin in her life for the best things. I wonder, maybe there's some people sitting here and, and you're... You're, you're, I'm a good person. I intend, to, I intend to go to church regularly. And I, I intend to spend time with Jesus on a daily basis. And I, I intend to, to make time for God and, and to worship God corporately and worship God privately. You just don't understand. I'm just so busy and I'm so distracted. There's so many things going on. Pastor, I think God understands. And I'll say this. He loves you. But he might say to you, Martha, Martha, you're cumbered. You're, you're getting distracted by a lot of good things. And it's keeping you from doing the best things. According to what Jesus says here, the best thing that we can do with our time is to spend it with Jesus. Can I, can I say this? There will always be time for the other good things if you make time for the best things. I don't think these things are in opposition to each other. I don't think duties necessarily have to conflict in this realm. But I do believe you've got to get first things first. As you prioritize your relationship with God, prioritize spending time with Him, He'll carve out the margin in your life. And you know what? The laundry will probably get done. Your children will probably have something to eat. It'll it'll work. When you seek first the kingdom of God. So some people look for satisfaction and fulfillment in prioritizing accomplishments and achievement. But now notice what Jesus says in verse number 42. He says, Martha, Martha, end of verse 41, thou art careful and troubled about many things. That you're, you're stressed out. And the reason you're stressed out is because you're not spending enough time with me. And it might be that some of you are here today and, and here you are like, Martha, you're troubled, you're stressed, you're frustrated about all these things. And Jesus says to you, it's because you're ignoring the main thing, the most important thing. He says, Jesus, notice the words in red here, this one thing is needful. Martha, I, I know you're making food, but it's not the most important thing. I know you're setting the table, but it's not the most important thing. He says, one thing is needful. For the believer, there's one thing that you need. It, it's, it's not, the, the most important thing is not necessarily that you do everything exactly the way your boss says. Hopefully most of the time you can. And hopefully most of the time what he tells you to do aligns with scripture. And, and you should render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. To, to obey. But in times where those things conflict, I hope we would have the courage to prioritize Christ. He says here, this one thing is needful. 
And Mary hath chosen that good choice or the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus says here, only one thing is necessary, and Mary is making the right choice. He said, I don't know if that sounds right. Sounds like Mary's being a little lazy to me. <laughs> Letting her sister do all the work. And normally in another setting, I'm sure Mary would have helped out. I'm sure in other settings, Mary would have been more than willing to jump in. But Mary understood her priorities. She understood what first things first meant. And first things first means spending time basking in the presence of Jesus. When you're too busy for God, you're too busy. He's the priority, not the next achievement. And you see, when we come to an understanding and recognizing that these other things don't give me my sense of security, these other things don't give me a sense of significance, these other things don't give me my sense of value, I get that from Jesus. It becomes so much easier to spend time with Jesus. And then when Jesus says, get up and start serving, it's easier to do that as well. It's easier to obey. And when His grace leads you to do and to work and to achieve, it's easier to do because you fueled your heart at His feet. This leads us to our next thought. That's prioritizing abiding with Christ. Mark chapter number 3 verse 14 is really interesting to me. Jesus is going about and he's getting ready to choose disciples. And I want you to see this verse. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 3, And Jesus ordained 12, notice this, that they should do for him. Is that what it says? First and foremost... Jesus calls you to be a disciple, not to do for him. That'll come. But your priority, that they should be with him. Your call to discipleship is a call to spend time basking regularly and constantly in the presence of Jesus. We're not saying ignore your job. We're not saying ignore your children. We're not saying ignore housework. We're just simply saying prioritize. There's an old saying. They used to say, get the big rocks in first. And while family's a big rock... And while your career is a big rock, the ultimate one is your personal time with Jesus. Basking in his presence because that, it's why you were created. Genesis chapter number three, we were created to fellowship with God. It's why Jesus went to Calvary for fellowship. So he could restore the relationship. It's why creation happened. It's why Calvary happened. It's why we're called for fellowship. First and foremost, your priority is not first to do something for Jesus. First, it's to be something with Jesus. I find that the Christians who do the best doing for Jesus are the ones who first have been something with Jesus. So here's my question. How much time do you spend enjoying the presence of God? And I'm not talking about getting all legalistic about this. We're not going to compare notes. Well, I spend 37 seconds more than this person. I must be better than them. That's not the point of this. I'm just asking you personally. 
When was the last time you just enjoyed the presence of God? Just bask and enjoy that experience with Him. Just truly worshiped God. One of the things I love about church, coming together like this morning, just pouring out our hearts in worship and adoration to Jesus. Behold our God. That's what this is all about. It's not about ambassador. It's not about you. It's not about me. This is about him and beholding our God. And we see that played out. My friends, no amount of achievement in this world will bring ultimate fulfillment if you neglect to regularly spend time with Christ. Everything else ceases to matter when we relegate, we we kind of negate our time with God. It's sad that how many Christians, man, Jesus has given them eternal life. Jesus, he created for fellowship. He gave them salvation for fellowship. He calls them to be a disciple for fellowship and then we ignore them. Do you realize that the reason you were created, the reason you were saved was for fellowship with him and nothing else fulfills, nothing else satisfies like a deep, enriching, beautiful relationship enjoying his presence regularly. This is not something you do once and then, oh, I'm good. We're talking about basking, regularly enjoying him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him are you satisfied do you enjoy the presence of Jesus that's what you were created for that's why God saved you it wasn't for you it was for him so you guys could have that relationship it's why you were called the discipleship so you could be with him it's what this whole thing's about His glory, our relationship. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus doesn't just give peace. According to Isaiah, Jesus is peace. The Bible teaches that Jesus doesn't give love, but according to 1 John chapter number 4, He is love. The Bible tells us that Jesus doesn't just give life, but according to John 14, He is life. The Bible tells us that Jesus doesn't just give joy, but according to Psalm 16, He is joy. What's amazing is He is peace. He is joy. He is life. He is love. And yet we look for all of these things outside of Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Because Jesus doesn't just give these things. It's the essence of who he is. And if you and I want to experience life, if we want to experience peace, if we want to experience love and joy, the only way to do it is to experience him. And those other things are a byproduct of spending time in his presence. Nothing else satisfies like abiding in the presence of Jesus. And the longer you go without abiding in his presence, the easier it is to believe the lie that something else can satisfy. The longer you go without truly pouring out your heart in worship and enjoying and being satisfied in him, the easier it is to be, to be deceived by the lie that this thing and those things and these things can satisfy and bring fulfillment. But they can't. They never have. And they never will.
the only thing that has the ability to bring ultimate satisfaction is regularly abiding in the presence of a satisfying and fulfilling Savior. So some people look for satisfaction and fulfillment by prioritizing their accomplishments and their achievements and the next rung on the ladder. It's going to fail you. True and lasting satisfaction doesn't come from any of these things smaller than Jesus. They come from him and him alone. And when this relationship is right, he enriches, he beautifies every other relationship. He enriches and beautifies every other dimension of our lives. When we make the priority him, he's reaching out for us. Oh, that we would answer that call. So, in conclusion here today, and we'll be done How do we practically abide in Christ? I mean, maybe there's somebody sitting here and you're like, you're talking about spending time with Christ and and you're talking about, you know, abiding with him. How does one practically do this? Now, I'm going to say the list I'm about to give you, you can do and not spend with Christ. But these are good indications of a life that is abiding in his presence. And they generally are signs. They're generally kind of indications of a life that is abiding with him. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a list of a few things that we can kind of look at and ask ourselves. Do I have an abiding relationship with Christ? Number one, it's going to start with your salvation. Are you saved? (laughs) If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's where it all begins. A relationship with God starts through his son, Jesus Christ. Have you committed your life to Christ? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because until the, until you, the Bible says, John 3, you've been born again spiritually. You've been all born physically. I'm glad, glad of that. But until you've been born again spiritually, that relationship, you're not a, in, in the sense of spiritually a child of God. You're a created child of God in that sense of the word. But as a spiritual child of God, there's not that relationship. It starts with your salvation. Here's number two. How do we practically abide in Christ? Here's another indication of somebody who's abiding in Christ. They spend time in his word. The Bible says in John 15, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You say, why is that so important? Well, compare that to John chapter number 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the what? Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. How do we abide with God? We get in His Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It's not just an ancient textbook. It's God incarnate. So by spending time in His Word, what's another way we can practically abide in Christ? Another indication of a life that is spent with Christ. Number two, by dwelling on Christ's love for you. John chapter number 15 verse 9, abide ye in my love. When was the last time you just dwelt on Christ's love for you? When was the last time you just took some time and just, just thought about all that Jesus did in his love for you? Meditated on what he did for you at Calvary. Meditated on what he did for you at creation. Oh, just to simply abide in his love. Some of us just need to enjoy that sacred romance afresh and anew. Just to abide in his love. Every day, wake up 
and abide in his love. Bask in his love. Reaffirm, remind yourself afresh and new how much God loves you. Regardless of what people at your workplace are doing. Regardless of what your spouse is doing. Regardless of what your family does. Wake up every day and reaffirm and remind yourself of the gospel that God adores you. He loves you. You're complete in him. There's a sacred romance to bask in the glories of that romance, that love, that adoration. Spend time in his word. Dwell in his love. According to Psalms chapter number 100, another indication of life that is abiding with Christ is by articulating with your words thanks to him. Here's what Psalms 100 says. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. One of the ways we dwell, one of the ways we abide with Christ, one of the indications of a life that is dwelling with Him is they articulate thanks to Him, both for who He is and what He does. Don't forget to thank God just for who He is. There's a lot of Christians running around and they're always thanking God for what He does. Thank you for this and thank you for giving me that and thank you for giving me those things. Can I say the greatest thing God gave you was Himself? (laughs) And thank Him for Him. Thank him for the beauty of his character. It wouldn't be wrong to wake up one morning and just begin to articulate your thanks for his attributes. Oh God, you're so powerful. You're all-knowing. You're everywhere at once. And just to thank him, just to adore him for the essence of who he is, the splendor, the majesty of his essence. Next, another indication of a life that is practically abiding in Christ is they sing praises to God, not just in church. The Bible says in Psalms, enter into his courts with praise. What we were doing this morning, we weren't just performing for each other. We, didn't, we weren't just trying to let everybody else in the room hear how awesome our voice was. Some of you are like, man, I was trying to keep it a secret. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anybody to know just how awesome <laughs> my voice is. Can I say this? You know why we did what we did? We were entering into the presence of the Almighty God. We were coming into his courts. That's why we praise corporately. That's why we worship corporately. That's why we sing corporately. It's not a performance. We are entering into the presence of an almighty God. And that's what we do corporately together. That's how corporately we abide with him. Another indication of a life that is practically abiding in Christ is they meditate on him. They meditate on him. One of the indications that the grace of God is really doing a work in your life and drawing you to himself is that you find yourself regularly just meditating on the goodness and greatness and glory of God. Not just when you're at church, but you're driving down the road and all of a sudden what's happening on the radio just isn't as important as turning it off and just spending time meditating on God. And all of a sudden, what's playing on the television just pales 
and what God wants to reveal to you about himself through his word. And not that there's not a place for those things. I'm not preaching against the radio or television. They're great things. They're gifts from God. But what I am saying is one of the marks of a life that abides with Christ is they find themselves regularly meditating. Not like one thought in and one thought out, split second. But just there's this meditation, this dwelling on him, on who he is. I want to say to you, we can and will experience deep satisfaction and fulfillment as we abide in the presence of Christ. If you're here today and you don't sense satisfaction in your life, and you live with a sense of, I'm average and mediocre and I don't matter, and there's no fulfillment and no satisfaction, can I say this? You can and you will experience deep satisfaction as you abide in the presence of Christ. I'm excited about an entire church congregation together getting a hold of this and recognizing that our value is not in what somebody down the pew says about us. Our value is not in how esteemed we are in this local place. That we find our value completely in who Jesus declares us to be. And because we are no longer trying to extract satisfaction, we're no longer trying to extract fulfillment from things smaller than Jesus, all of a sudden we'll find that we can find it in the one who offers it. The only thing that has the ability to bring ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment is regularly abiding in the presence of a satisfying and fulfilling Savior. So here's our big idea. We're going to put this on the screen. If you don't get anything else, if you're like, I don't get every, I didn't understand one word you said, here's three words and walk out with this. Prioritize His presence. Okay, if you've got nothing else, take those three words home. Prioritize His presence. So my question is, What distracts you from prioritizing his presence? What is it in your life? It's all different for all of us. What distracts us from that? And can I encourage you to surrender that to Jesus? Not maybe give it up, but saying, Lord, I give it to you and give it back to me in the proportion that I can handle it in a healthy way. God, I give you my job and I'm going to live out my job in a way that is healthy and appropriate in my relationship with you. I'm not going to look to my career to give me my sense of identity, my sense of value. I'm going to look to you to provide that. And I'm going to look to my job to be what jobs are supposed to be. How we put food on the table. How we pay for the necessities of life. Nothing more, nothing less. And maybe for others, it's a hobby. And you need to surrender that hobby and say, God, this hobby is distracting me. This entertainment's distracting me. And God, I give it to you. God, give it back into the proportions that is healthy in my relationship with you so I can prioritize your presence. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.